Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Mile End service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. But it was really, it was really interesting, I think, because um, I've been poring over this passage, right? Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. And we've, um, for those of you who have um, been part of the church for a while, who uh, have been following Jesus for a while, may have heard that a number of times. And Jesus himself in the passage repeats it a number of times. And I've been asking God, well, in, when I started preparing the sermon, my first thing I said was, well, if you, ask, if you said ask and receive, I'm going to ask you, give me something to preach about. <laughs> give me a message. That was my ask. And I prepared this whole sermon um, of a lot of good stuff, I think. But yesterday, as I was in the shower, which is where my mind just uh, wanders quite a lot, um, and I felt like the Holy Spirit uh, revealed this to me, and it kind of just opened up this passage. And I felt like he was saying, ask, knowing that I am speaking. Seek, knowing that I am seeking after you as well. And knock, knowing that I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Were the words of Jesus in Revelation. So before I continue, I'm just going to pray really quickly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Lord, um, we pray that you would be with us this morning. We ask that you would speak to us. And we seek your face. Lord, would you come and be with us. Would you minister to us? Would you transform our hearts? Would you renew our minds that we would know your heart's desires? And Lord, we knock as well. We come boldly before you, boldly into your presence. Be with us, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week, uh, we heard the wonderful Natalie, uh, who uh, came to preach us about um, the Lord's Prayer, the passage that comes, that precedes uh, the passage we're looking at today. And uh, really, she spoke about the importance of prayer um, and about how Jesus teaches teaches us what uh, we can pray. But the follow-on from that is really Jesus' teaching on how we pray, our attitude when we come to him in prayer. How do we pray? And who do we pray to? We pray to our Father, our friend, and Jesus makes that clear. So I want to take us today on that same kind of journey in how we pray, um, to grow in this revelation of uh, how we are called a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and what that really means when we come to him in prayer. So let's break the passage down. Um, I've been reading quite a lot of technical, uh, theological commentary around the passage, and it's quite complicated, and so I've you know, I thought, I've got to use some of this to, to break the passage down. I'm going to use this theological method called um, uh, the three parts. I don't know if you've heard us. It's quite, it's quite revolutionary. You might not have seen this before at Christchurch, where we're going to break it down into three parts. Um, and you can guess what those three parts are. Ask, seek, and knock. So, ask. When I, whenever I come to look at Scripture, especially in preparing for a sermon, one of the first things I do is I look at, okay, what other, where else do I find similar things in Scripture? 
So where else do we see God encouraging us uh, to ask? Well, in Mark, uh, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Uh, John uh, records Jesus as saying, whatever you ask for in my name, I will give it to you. Do you believe it? Do you believe God when he says that if you simply ask, you will receive? Isn't it that simple? If you don't ask, you don't get, right? That's it. Now, I know that it's not that simple. I know that uh, many prayers feel like they go unanswered. And I want to acknowledge that today as well. But I also want to say that in this passage, Jesus doesn't really address unanswered prayer. Instead, he chooses to repeat himself over and over again in many different ways, saying that when we come to him and when we ask, he will give himself to us. Um, but if the following you know, 20 minutes uh, or so of what I have to, to speak on doesn't really help, uh, to those of you who may be struggling with unanswered prayer, I want to recommend uh, Pete Gregg's book, um, God on Mute. I think it's a real encouragement to us. Pete Gregg started the 24-7 prayer movement, um, a movement that, looks, that had a vision of, of praying to God 24, hour day, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. A man who, uh, Pete Gregg, who, who has become known and, and sort of characterized as a man about prayer, and even he experienced um, uh, this sense that God was sometimes not speaking. Um, so, uh, although I'm not going to dwell too much on an unanswered prayer, um, if this is something you want to, to look more into, I would highly recommend uh, this book. But how, how might we be encouraged from the passage today? Well, the verb uh, that Jesus uses here to ask is not just a kind of ask once. It's ask continually. It's, like a, it's a very active verb. It's like continually encouraging us to come before God and to persist in, in asking him for things. If we feel like um, our prayers are not being answered, one of the encouragements is, is, is keep asking. Keep on asking. And we must be honest before God. We must come before him unreservedly, even when we feel like he's not answering. Of course, we must be humble and, and, and be in awe of who he is. But listen to the words of Jesus. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And that is one of the things I think God is calling us to today, to be bold in our prayer, to come shamelessly before him with audacity in the things that we ask him for and in the way that we approach him too. Uh, I'm going to share a story with you. Um, which I hope will be a great encouragement because it has not been a, only a real encouragement to me, but has also been a real inspiration to me in my entire walk with God in many ways. Um, it's quite a long story, though, <laughs> so make yourselves comfortable. Um, I hope you've got some nice coffee. It's not coconut coffee, but it's good. <laughs> um, so, um, in 1949... 74 years ago, on the island of Lewis, off the northwest coast of Scotland, two sisters were praying. Their names were Peggy and Christine Smith. They were 84 and 82 years old. They were on the right and left. Um, Peggy was completely blind. Christine bent over with arthritis. 
but they were burdened due to the depressed spiritual state uh, in their village church. They sensed the Lord was speaking to them from Isaiah when it says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. This led them to pray in their small cottage two to three nights per week from 10 p.m. till 3 a.m. I think they were retired, so you know, they had quite a lot of time on their hands. After several weeks of praying like this, Peggy had a vision of her church being crowded with young people and an unknown minister, who turns out to be Duncan Campbell, um, preaching from the pulpit. Peggy then sends for the minister of their church at the time, uh, James Mackay, and told him that they sensed the Lord was going to send a revival and that he must get his church leaders and spend every Tuesday and Friday night in prayer and that they would pray simultaneously in their cottage. Mackay respected the sisters' spiritual judgment and the call to pray was made. There was a group of pastors in the region that met to discuss the spiritual uh, decline um, in the, on the island and together they composed a resolution to be read on a certain Sunday in all the free churches of Scotland. It was an appeal for all believers to view with concern the barrenness of the parishes so that they would turn again unto the Lord whom we have so grieved with our waywardness and iniquities. Apparently, people from all over the islands in the northwest of Scotland um, had a sense that God was telling them, ask me for revival. This was a divinely orchestrated movement to petition God for revival. After several weeks of praying like that, one evening, while the minister and church leaders um, were praying in a barn, a young deacon uh, read from Psalm 24, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. When he closed his Bible, he looked at the minister and the others and said, it seems to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. He then prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Immediately, at around 3 a.m., the presence of God gripped every person present. And it wasn't only them that sensed this. For the entire village and larger surrounding area sensed that same awareness of God. That group of intercessors left the barn at that early hour and found men and women kneeling on the roads, crying out to God for mercy. <sighs> Every home had lights on in it, as no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. They then sent for Duncan Campbell um, and invited him to come and preach um, pretty much the next day. And soon enough, he arrived. And upon arriving, around 300 people gathered at the church uh, where he preached. There was an awareness of God's presence, uh, more powerful than what Campbell had experienced um, previously, but nothing extraordinary beyond that, and the service was closed at around 10.45. With everyone having departed from the church, and Duncan Campbell and a young deacon being the only ones left, uh, the young man, the young deacon, knowing God was going to do something much more that night in the middle of the aisle, said to Campbell, nothing has broken out tonight, but God is hovering over us. He is hovering over us, and he will break through at any moment. So the young man lifted up his hands and started to pray, God, you made a promise to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. 
and you're not doing it. And he continued to intercede intensely in prayer for a considerable, well, for what appears to be around only about 20 minutes, and then collapsed to the floor. Um, And at around 11 o'clock, the back door of the church flew open, and a man ran in saying, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Mr. Campbell, we were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and listen, he's done it, he's done it. Will you come to the door and see what is here? And then Campbell went to the door and saw many hundreds of people beginning to flood into the church. No one had invited them. They had been drawn, <laughs> they had been drawn sovereignly by God at that late hour of the evening. By 12 midnight, the church, which sat around 800 people, was crowded out. And in addition to the people that turned up, around 100 young people had come running from a nearby dance, although it would be, I guess, a rave or something. (laughs) Um, And there were many hundreds more who had already gone to bed, but simultaneously, without any explanation, got out of bed, dressed themselves, and went running to church. A hunger and thirst for God overwhelmed the people in the area. And then in the church, people began to sing psalms. People in the aisles and in the pews were on their knees crying out for God to have mercy. That meeting continued until 4 a.m. There were no altar calls, no, no appeals to accept Christ. It was just a sovereign work of God. Several of those saved that night became ministers. At 4 a.m., uh, Camp, they, they left the church um, and someone approached Duncan Campbell and asked him to go to the police station because there was another 300 people who had gathered outside the police station And as he went there, he saw people again along the road kneeling and crying out to God in repentance and pleading for mercy. Um, Upon arrival at the police station, Duncan Campbell didn't preach a sermon, but the crowd that had mysteriously gathered themselves were crying out to God for mercy due to the overwhelming conviction of their sins that they were experiencing. Many of those assembled um, in in the village had began to arrive on buses from locations up to 12 miles away, and when asked why they had come, they didn't have an answer. They just said they had hunger in their heart to come to the village. People were walking up uh, to church. It was said that people were walking up to church services, um, were quite quiet. There was no talking as they entered church, um, but everyone was gripped by the presence of God. And not long after uh, church services would start, people would begin (laughs) weeping, sometimes with tears, Um, tears were due to an overwhelming love of God and other times it was due to conviction of sin Um, there was the singing of psalms no instruments were used Um, maybe we won't have worship after (laughs) Um, and many people spoke about having uh, visions and and there were many uh, miracles accounted for Um, and it was said that perhaps they didn't record uh, the numbers of people that came to faith deliberately because they didn't want to um, experience any sense of pride with the number of people that were coming to faith, but it's estimated around 20,000 people um, came to know Christ. And bear in mind, this is like, this is, this is 1940s in northwest Scotland, and it's within churches that would not be considered charismatic in their faith, churches that were not lively with worship or anything. It was the heart of these elderly women being stirred by God. It was the people hearing God's call to ask for revival. It was the boldness of the young deacon coming before God and saying, this is what you have promised. 
Would you pour out your living water upon this ground? And it seemed like it was God's plan. It was God's plan to come, but he chose to use his people to carry out that plan. He chose to put it on people's hearts, to stir their hearts to pray. And I think that that is one of the ways in which God works. He has chosen us, his church, to share his, his gospel with the world. He also chooses us um, to, to pray to him that his will would, would come, that his kingdom would come. So we must ask. We must ask boldly. We must keep asking. But we must also be honest with him. So when we don't feel like we hear anything, when we feel like he's not pouring out his water upon the dry ground, then we must keep coming before him honestly. There's been times in my life where I feel like God, God you know, promised so much and, and led me in prayer, and then right at the very moment where I thought he would deliver me, I felt like he, nothing happened. And I was kind of angry with God, but I also felt like the Spirit was encouraging me to, to be honest with him. You know, sometimes I feel like God's saying, come on, you can pray angry prayers. <laughs> God, why are you not here? Why are you not moving? But that's okay because we're coming before him and we know that he is our father and that he loves us. But this passage, um, like many passages in scripture, I also think has a couple of different layers. On one hand, um, there's a real uh, kind of obvious and, and practical nature. You know, ask, keep asking because you will receive. But there is a, a bigger picture, a kind of wider narrative. Right at the end of the passage that Adnan read, Jesus says, um, your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If there's one thing that I would like you to just remember today, it is that if you are thirsty, if you are hungry, if you are desperate for God, and especially if you don't yet know him, ask him, ask him for salvation, for redemption, for forgiveness. Ask him for him, himself, him alone, and he will give himself to you. He gave his only son for all of us, and he will not withhold his Holy Spirit if we ask. So that's ask. All right, part two, seek. If you seek me uh, with all your heart, you will find me. So I think if ask is simply an encouragement to, to ask God, to petition God, then I think uh, seeking God has a bit more to do also with, with our heart and our character. It goes a little bit deeper. In, in Corinthians, Paul says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And God encourages us to look for him as well and to search for him. Let us go deeper in his word, in scripture, to look for him, to find out who he really is. Let's search for him in our workplaces. Let's search for him in creation. He is everywhere. In Paul's letter to Colossians, he says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you see him? Do you see the Father and his plan of redemption for the world? 
There's a, a wonderful spiritual practice um, that St. Ignatius taught around 500 years ago, and it's called the practice of examine. And, um, and it leads us uh, to, to, to look over often just simply the day that has gone. So at the end of the day, you would pray to God and you would think back over the day um, and try to search for God in the things that have happened. Because so often we go through life and we miss God in so many things. But actually, if we stopped for a moment and looked back, it feels almost easier to see him at work, right? And, and I think it's quite important that we, that we see the things he's doing in our lives, but also the things he's doing in our community and, and amongst people uh, around us. So do you see him? Do you see him in your workplaces? And consider maybe tomorrow morning, um, in a way that you've never considered before, ask God the question, where are you in this? Where are you in this? Where are you working? Where are you moving? And have faith that if he opened our eyes to see him on the cross, he will open our eyes to continue to see him moving and working today. So I want to go back as well and look a little bit at the Old Testament um, where we also find uh, passages that refer to seeking God the same way that Jesus speaks about it. In Deuteronomy, Moses speaks prophetically over Israel, saying, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And later in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah speaks prophetically and even writes a letter uh, to those, or to a message to be given to those who are exiled in Babylon. And he says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do you hear the words of Jesus as well? It's right there. When, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Ask, ask and you will receive. Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And amongst those in exile in Babylon, to whom uh, Jeremiah's prophetic word was initially directed, we find Daniel. And Daniel lives a life uh, devoted to God, following God um, in obedience and holiness. There's even an entire book in the Old Testament about the life of Daniel, and we can also learn more about the lives of those who were in exile in Babylon at the same time. And Daniel was... Uh, and those exiled away from Israel to Babylon were away from Jerusalem. They were away from the temple of God. And the temple was where they believed that, that God's um, presence resided. Um, but when Daniel hears these words, seek me and you will find me, it's not come to the temple to seek me, come to that place of worship to seek me. Seek me where you are. And that's what exactly what Daniel does. 
he seeks God. And we see kings of Babylon come to faith. He, we see God shut the mouths of lions and eventually lead to uh, the people of Israel um, being allowed to return to Jerusalem as well. But I was a little bit challenged by this, this concept as well of, of Daniel be, and those in exile being away from the temple and still being called to seek God. Sometimes I think that when we leave church, that church is a bit like the temple in some ways. Sometimes we can think a bit about like, a bit like that. And when we leave this place, Monday to Saturday, it's like we go into exile. And I think there's an encouragement to us that we should continue to seek God even outside of these four walls, even outside of the gatherings that we have together. We should continue to seek God. Um, who here was born in London? Show of hands. Ah, oh, quite a few actually. Quite a lot of Londoners in the house. And who wasn't born in London? Yeah, okay. I would say probably the majority. Um, in many ways, those of us who weren't born in London are like exiles, right? <laughs> We've been exiled to London. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm kidding. But in all seriousness, um, you know, it is true that, that we go through periods of our life as well um, which can feel dry, which can feel like we're far from God. But God is calling us to seek him in those times, and especially during those times where we feel far from him. He's saying, come to me. But seeking God and God alone wasn't just what Daniel did um, when we read uh, the accounts of his life. It seems that he also listened to Jeremiah when Jeremiah said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. And there's a call for us as well to seek the peace and prosperity of this city which we have been carried to. And interestingly, um, well, what does it really mean to seek the peace and prosperity of the city? Um, and what does it mean? Does it, is it contradictory, actually, to seeking God sometimes? Because in Babylon, there was decrees issued at one point even by the king that if you, if you were worshipping or praying to something else other than the king, then you would be sentenced to death. So how did it really stack up to seek God in the face of death threats and seeking the peace and prosperity of the land? Well, actually, I think putting God first and seeking first his kingdom was the best thing for Babylon. That even when Babylon said, no, you must seek first Babylon, Daniel said, I'm going to seek first God. But in seeking first God, actually, we see the fruit of that was peace and prosperity coming to Babylon, and Babylon prospered. And I think the same is true for us today. In our city, where we face challenges to living out our faith, that actually, sometimes when we go against the status quo, sometimes when we live lives set apart, holy, but still being in this world, still being in this city, actually, you know, we will see God move, we will see God's kingdom come, and that will mean that the city will prosper and will grow in peace. So if we go back to the passage in Luke, um, and we think, and we look at the, the parable that Jesus um, shares about going to the neighbor in the middle of the night and asking for bread. 
Well, how does it really relate to this, to seeking the peace and prosperity? Well, of, this, of the city and of those around us. The interesting thing is that in this parable, when, the, when, when Jesus says, you know, you would go to your neighbor um, to ask for bread, the person going to the neighbor asking for bread isn't asking bread for themselves. They're asking for bread for their friend who has traveled and is now a guest. I'll read it again. Uh, hopefully I can find my, go back to where my notes were. Um, yeah, it says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Isn't it interesting that um, in the parable, it's not about going to your neighbor to seek bread for yourself. It's not because you're hungry and you ran out of bread. It's because a friend of yours has arrived and they are in need. And so when God is calling us to seek him, I believe he is calling us uh, for, for ourselves to come before him and to ask what we need for ourselves. But as we seek him, he's also challenging us and calling us to seek him for those around, for other people as well. So let's seek God and his kingdom and let's seek the, pros the prosperity and the peace of those around us. Knock, part three. So we ask, we listen, we seek and we go searching to find God, but now we knock. And I don't know about you, but it feels like in this final part of knocking, that it's like something's about to happen. It feels much more of a doing thing. It feels much more of a, a real like, okay, I can actually envisage, envisage knocking on a door and something's about to happen. I don't think Jesus is asking us to go cold calling or knock door run. The assumption is that you know who your neighbor is and you know them. And we can be a thousand times more sure um, that our Father in heaven will open the door when we knock on his house. Amen. And so when we arrive at his door, we know it's going to open. You see, we know the promises of God, and we've been on that journey of petitioning him, of bringing our hearts desires before him, of seeking him out. But now is the time where the door is about to swing open, where the floodgates are about to open. Some commentators argue that knocking on the door is about entering the presence of God. Now that we've found his house, um, we knock on his door. But what is his house? Well, uh, as I mentioned before, in, in the Old Testament, um, they had the temple in Jerusalem. And, uh, and in the temple, the same temple that uh, Daniel would have gone to, uh, to pray and to worship when he was in Jerusalem, um, there were different rooms. And in the last room, if we could have the next slide. Um, here we go. Um, in the last room, it was called the Holy of Holies. And in this place, um, they would only enter once a year. And, the high, and only the high priest um, would enter that place. Um, it was actually it's like Yom Kippur is the, the, day, the one day of the year where the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. It was an extremely holy place. It was thought that the presence of God resided there and that his presence was so strong and so holy that if people entered that place without preparing in the right way, 
they could even be struck down dead. It was, in some ways, kind of terrifying. And I think when Jesus is saying, knock, and the door will be opened, I think he's saying, knock on the holy of holies, and the door will be opened. And I think I had this sort of idea yesterday as well, which really cut to my heart, that um, when, the, when the presence of God was so holy and so present that people would fear about being even struck, being struck dead in his presence, I felt like the Spirit was saying to me yesterday, you have also been struck dead, but now you are resurrected in Christ. And as we are resurrected in Christ, as we are hidden in Christ, we can come before God and come into his presence, into his holy presence, unashamedly. He has called us as royal priests. We are a royal priesthood, every single one of us. Not just those who are up at the front, but every single person here who follows Christ is called a royal priest. And similar to the high priest who would only enter once a year, we can now freely enter into the presence of God at all times. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? What a privilege to be able to do that. And this is kind of like, in many ways, the, the end of our journey of ask, seek, and knock. You know, as we've ask him, if we seek him, as we knock on this door and we come into his presence, it's also, though, the beginning, the very beginning, I think, of our prayer journey. From within this place of intimacy, from within this place of being within the presence of God, we bring before him our petitions, we bring before him um, our offerings of worship, and it is pleasing to him. He wants us to ask, he wants us to bring what we have before him. And we also bring before him um, the, uh, our petitions for those around us for the city. I'm about to do an impression of someone in this service. I want you to guess who it is. Are you ready? <laughs> Oh, uh, you know who it is. <laughs> Anyone else seen this person? The person goes to our service. No? No? No one knows who it is? Isaac Wade. <laughs> you ever see him walking down the aisle? <laughs> and for those of you who don't know who Isaac Wade is, he is the son of Joel and Dee Wade. Um, Joel, who is the pastor of our service here at Mile End. Now, why am, I, why am I suddenly doing an impression of Isaac Wade? Well, think about it. Isaac is confident in his father's house. Eh? He's confident. He knows that when he asks, he will receive. <laughs> um, it's a little bit silly, but I do think as well that 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 God is, is challenging us to have a little bit of that sense as well, to come before him with childlike hearts in his house, in his presence, with a little bit of swagger, 
You know, of course, <laughs> of course he calls us to humble ourselves. But when we're with God, when we're with our Father, and we know that he loves us, and we know that he is listening to us, that he is speaking, that he is seeking after us, wow, what a difference it makes to the way in which we pray. Around 15, no, 16 uh, years ago, I had a dream. And it was probably the most powerful dream I felt I ever had in my life. And I, given it was like 15 years ago, and I still remember it vividly. Um, and I felt like it was God speaking. And um, actually, if we could have the, the, the picture of the, the, the demo back up, yeah. Um, it was at a time where I didn't really know that much about, I mean, I'd been reading the Bible a little bit, um, but I didn't know that much about the temple. And I didn't know that much also about some of the passages uh, in, in Revelation, which I later realized it referenced this, to some extent. And within my, this dream I had, I felt like I was walking down these stairs and I was looking back up the stairs and it felt like I was consciously thinking, I was having a dream back up there, but now I'm somewhere else. And it was quite, I mean, bear with me, you know, this is a little bit abstract, but, um, and, but I felt in that moment like I was somewhere really holy and I felt like the presence of God was so close and so tangible, I was like almost trembling, thinking God is here and I'm about to just see God um, in, in all his fullness. And I was so ready, and I was in this, what felt like a room, and I think it was sort of like the first room. And I, and I, and I was sort of ready, I was like, oh, God's going to come around the corner. And then something kind of appeared, and I just immediately fell to my knees, um, sort of bowing down, saying, oh, God, you're all, I'm not worthy, you're holy. And then nothing was happening, and I didn't hear anything. I was like, oh, this is strange. So I kind of looked up, and it wasn't God, it was just a person. And I felt suddenly quite embarrassed, and I was like, oh, dear, like... Um, you know, that was, I was supposed to reserve that for God, and here I am just doing it to this random person, and they kind of walked off. And I thought, oh dear. <laughs> so I stood up, and I kind of, you know, from being in a place of sort of trembling, I was suddenly in this place of like, oh, oh dear, so embarrassed. And I stumbled into the next room. And as I stumbled into the next room, kind of unaware so much of the presence of God, I saw a lamb sat kind of on this big cushion kind of thing. And I thought, this is kind of strange. And then it hit me, this is the Lamb of God. And he said to me, um, I don't know how the Lamb spoke, <laughs> but he said, Whatever, what it is that you ask for, I'll give it to you. And then I woke up. And at the time, I wasn't really asking for any particular thing. And at the time, I also, you know, I think really the, the, the full meaning of that dream to me has only really fully come alive as I prepared this sermon. As I thought about coming into the presence of God and coming before him and asking him um, for the things of my heart. And so we come before him like the person who goes to their neighbor knowing that God is not asleep. He is alive and listening and calling on us to sing a little louder, to pray a little louder, to speak up and have our voices heard. 
in the in the in the book Song of, of Solomon, um, which kind of parallels God's love for His church, um, he says. Uh, he says, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And he says, you who dwell in the gardens with friends and attendants, let me hear your voice. Christ Church London, in the clefts of London, in the hiding places of this city, show me your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Do you hear God? He wants you to come before him and he wants us to speak to him. He wants to hear our voice no matter what is on our heart, no matter what we have to bring. Whether it's a song of lament, whether it's a cry of frustration, he just wants to hear our voice. It's so sweet to him. So it's time to speak up. It's time to speak up, not only for ourselves, but on behalf of our friends, on behalf of those that we love, to pray for the peace and prosperity of our city. It's time to break up the dry, hard fields of our prayer lives, which is true of me as well, more than anyone. And it is time to let God pour out his living water upon us, upon our prayer lives, that it would be soft and tender again because now is the time to seek the Lord. Now is the time to humble ourselves, to turn from the ways of this world as a holy and chosen people, a royal priesthood, to come into his presence, to pray to him, to call on him, and he will pour out his spirit upon us. He will forgive us. He will heal our land. He will bring peace and prosperity and his kingdom will come to this city. This is how he taught us to pray. To ask, knowing that he will answer. To seek, knowing that we will find him. To knock, knowing that the door will swing open. If I could have the band uh, back up. Probably should have asked for them a few minutes ago. <laughs> so how do we respond? Well, as Anand mentioned earlier, we have a chance to respond this afternoon in, in, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Perhaps you weren't planning on coming. Perhaps you feel like you're not an intercessor, someone that comes into the presence of God with petitions on behalf of others. But this is for all of us. We are all his chosen people and we are all his royal priesthood. But perhaps we also have a chance to respond tomorrow when we go back to, to work. We can ask God, show us where you are working in our workplace. Show us where you are working in all of our lives that we might see you at work. If you, if you want to learn more as well about um, listening to God, um, as well as Pete Craig's book, God on Mute, um, do come and speak to myself or Anna, and we can recommend also uh, lots of good books about how to listen to God um, and how we might hear his voice as well. Um, but yeah, I think we should just close in prayer <laughs> and, and I'll let the band uh, take us from there. So if you want to stand.
Lord, we, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you love to hear our voice. So, Lord, we, we ask, pour out your Spirit upon us. Yes. You have promised that if we ask, you will give your Holy Spirit to us. He will guide us. He will guide us in what to pray as well. Inspire us. Inspire us, Lord, in prayer. Lead us into your presence even more that we might know your love for us, that we might hear your voice calling to us. Let me hear your voice.